to show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's me, Stante. I keep saying that. You guys know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, every time. So this week's guest is newly knighted. <laughs> newly minted, I could say. Newly minted. <laughs> uh, brand new black belt. What, like within a month? Within the last month? Uh, almost exactly last a month. month. It was uh, July 13th I got promoted, I think. Uh, okay, so right around a little over a month. So yeah. fresh new black belt. Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> Mr. James McClugan. Thanks for having me. No problem, my friend. Thank you for doing this. I always appreciate everyone giving their time to me and, and you know, just coming on and conversing. So thank you very much for this. It's an honor. Uh, so uh, before we started recording, James and I, we, we got into some, some deep conversation. We're going to revisit that. Uh, I found his bag. And and the, you know, it, it you could feel the passion through through the monitor. So, uh, but before we even get into Dragon Ball Z, what we're gonna do is I want to know basically your jujitsu journey. I want to know, you know, I, I did some uh, Instagram, you know, stalking a little bit, right. just kind of scrolling through. I always feel awkward when I do that because. As I scroll through, I'll see something, I'll like it. And this from like years ago, I'm like, Jesus, I think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. But, it's all good, though, with your, you know, you do a podcast, so it's like, kind of makes sense. You, you meet someone, you go through their page, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from the outside, it seems that way. But when I'm doing it, I'm like, ugh, I feel great. Right. Yeah, I feel um, So for you and in starting jujitsu, what got you into it? Yeah, so I started grappling when I was about nine with wrestling. Um, I moved to live with my dad when I was nine, and my next door neighbors, um, Don and George, wonderful couple. They had two sons, George and Zach, who both wrestled, and uh, they were just like, "Hey, you should come try out wrestling." And I was like, "All right, I've never wrestled before. I had I had met one kid when I was younger." who wrestled, but I had just seen his pictures and trophies and I had never really known much about it. So I went with Zach to a freestyle club. This is in like fourth, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. And uh, I did it. I wrestled with this kid named Chris Oaks, who was a stud. He was like a year younger than me, 15 pounds lighter than me. And he pinned me like eight times in like a, you know, six minute match. And I was like, what is going on here? So Kind of like most people's experience with jujitsu, right? You you roll the first time, some person half your size murders you, and then you're like, okay, I need to learn how to do this. So I kind of had that with wrestling. So I, I wrestled and I loved it. Um, so then I wrestled all through high school, and then when I was in high school, um, just kind of growing up, I was like a big, you know, I was in the WWE. I liked martial arts movies. I used to watch Bruce Lee and Jet Li movies and all this stuff. And uh, I was flipping through TV one day and I landed on Spike TV, which was then not even a thing anymore, but uh, Spike TV at the time. And one of the UFCs was on and 
I was like, oh, what is this? It was like, you know, people fighting, but I was like, I'm not familiar with this. I was like maybe 14 or 15 at the time. And it's James Irvin and he's fighting, I believe the dude is Terry Martin and uh, totally different styles. Terry Martin's a wrestler. James Irvin was a knockout striker. His nickname was the Sandman, if people don't remember James Irvin. Um, so I'm watching this. I'm like, what is this? First round, Terry Martin took James Irvin down repeatedly. And I was like, all right, the wrestler's kicking the striker's ass. That's kind of what I expected. And then beginning of the second round, James Irvin Mosfidal's Terry Martin. He runs across the cage and literally flying knee KOs him. And I was like, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And so just from then on, I was hooked on the UFC. And then uh, as I learned about the UFC, I discovered what jujitsu was. And then you know, Hoyce Gracie. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I need to learn this. So then as I was getting older and getting out of high school, I sort of started messing with MMA, like as I was in high school. And I was like, man, maybe this is something I could look into because I was a pretty good wrestler. I wasn't like a state champion or nothing, but I was good. I won more than I lost. And, you know, I was like, maybe this is something I can look into because there's not really much else in terms of wrestling. So as I was getting older, uh, I, I sort of started messing with MMA. But then when I was in my senior year of high school, I joined the Army. While I was waiting to join the Army, I did an amateur MMA fight. So I had basically picked up, like, jiu-jitsu just from watching the UFC. Um, I had, like, wrestled with some friends. Like, we would have fight nights at, at a buddy's house. And we would all, like, in between fights, we would just, like, practice the moves on each other and, like, have little sparring matches. I remember this one time I had a little match with this dude named Clinton. He was like two years older than me. He was on the wrestling team with me. So I knew he was good. And I was like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be fun. But he was like, let's go McClugan. And I was like, all right, let's go. So the entire time we were like, you know, he was mostly using wrestling on me, but he was like dragging my face across the carpet and just trying to like make it miserable. And he was just trying to get me to quit. But uh, the next fight ended up coming on. And we basically just kind of called it a draw. And the whole, like, I went to school the next day and my whole face was like covered in rug burn. And everyone was like, what happened? And I was like, oh, me and Clinton were just messing around at, at Seymour's house. And uh, yeah, so I just, I loved it. And I was like a natural at it, you know, like I'm, I'm the type of guy I can see a technique just like in a video. I watch it once, twice, two times. And like, I can get like 80% of it. I might miss a few details, but it's like, I'll get the basics. So I, I figured out how to do arm bars, triangles, kimuras, all that just from like, watching like UFC basically. So then uh, went to basic training AIT after high school. I had my amateur MMA fight, won that. That was crazy. I fought this dude named Jake Warner, who I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, he was much older than me. He was 32 years old at the time. I was 18 and uh, we fought at 155 pounds for extreme cage fighting. Uh, the video is out there somewhere. It's on my Facebook still. If you found it somewhere it's in super grainy because it was taken in like 2009 on somebody's shitty camcorder um my buddy caleb recorded it my buddy caleb just approached me and he was like hey you want to do this amateur mma fight and i was like okay so i did it and anyway i saw that uh i ended up winning that amateur mma fight and i was like hey i might actually be pretty good at this um but then i had like the army so i was doing that and then went to basic training ait and I was in the Army Reserves. So when I got out of basic and AIT, I was then qualified to use my GI Bill. So I used my GI Bill and I went to college at Indiana University. So when I got to Indiana University, that's where I really started doing jujitsu. They had a jujitsu club that was only $50 for the whole semester. And I was like, that's awesome. Because back then in like 2008, 2009 in Indiana, 
there was like maybe two or three places where you could train jujitsu and the closest one was like an hour and 20 minutes from where i lived so uh just didn't really get to train right so when i got to college i had an actual opportunity to do like real jujitsu and so i signed up i went to club and uh josh hanger i don't know if you know who he is he's an autos black belt he was there doing his master's degree at the time he was a brown belt and he was instructing in the club and so was this black belt who was also affiliated with autos he's a i think small axe is his name tim sled they were like the first like legit black and brown belts that I ever rolled with. I got submitted like who knows how many times Tim submitted me with the exact same straight arm bar from like nine different positions. And he told me he was going to do it. And I was like, man, I, I was like, I really need to learn this stuff. So I did that club the whole time I was in college, but they didn't really promote people in the club because it wasn't like part of an actual gym. So like I was just this white belt who trained whenever I could for like four years and I never got promoted. After I finished ROTC, I commissioned active duty as an infantry officer in the army. I went to Ibolic, did all that stuff. And then I moved to El Paso when I got stationed out there um, at Fort Bliss. And then uh, I trained at an MMA gym for about a year and a half out there, Ushido MMA, shout out to uh, Hugo Sita. He was the head coach out there. He is a black belt under, uh, what is that guy's name? Um, oh, one of his fighters just, uh, one of his fighters just won the ultimate fighter, Carly Miller, the female. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Hurricane. Um, he's a hurricane black belt. I can't remember his name. It's, it's blanking me right now, but, uh, Hugo was my MMA coach. Cause I still had thoughts about doing MMA. I trained there for a while, but then while I was in the military, I got sent over to, uh, Kuwait while I was over there. My roommate, he was a captain that I was just in like a bunk room with. He was a purple belt in jiu-jitsu so we got talking about jiu-jitsu and we were like man it'd be great if there was somewhere to train over here so we set up like we found this huge open tent that was just filled with with wrestling mats so we were like whose are these and they were like oh yeah you know those are here but no one ever uses them so we were like uh can we get the keys so we got the keys on uh this is a camp bearing in kuwait we got the keys to this huge mat room that no one ever used the ac broke every day and I don't know if you know much about Kuwait, but in the summer, it's 127 degrees every day. And uh, yeah, so we were basically training in a sauna every day, but it was just me and him most of the time. But eventually, over the nine months that we were there, we got word out to people like, hey, we've been doing some jujitsu. If you guys want to come on your time off, you know, we'll teach you guys some stuff. And uh, through doing that, Nick Smith, he was the purple belt. Shout out Nick Smith, a.k.a. Smith. I love that guy. I miss him. He's a... Uh, Nothing happened to him, by the way. I just haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> Want to make that clear. Um, <laughs> whenever you're talking about people in the military, you got to specify, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was a purple belt and I was still technically a white belt at the time. And he, I was, I would like give him hard roles. And he was like, dude, how are you a white belt? And I was like, dude, I've been training for forever. I did MMA. I just, I was never at a place consistently enough to get promoted. And he was like, well, he's like, I'm going to talk to my professor and I'm going to see if I can promote you. So he actually got permission from his professor to promote me to blue belt while I was in Kuwait. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm one of the few people who can say I got my blue belt in Kuwait. After I got home from Kuwait, I uh, went back and I started training at that same gym. And 
Yeah, so I basically went from blue through brown belt at that same gym in El Paso, Texas. It was uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu El Paso. It doesn't exist anymore. It's now Grind Jiu-Jitsu in El Paso. But Professor Justin Gonzalez, Big Gonzo 21 on Instagram, he was my uh, professor out there. Great guy. He has a really good, like, top pressure game, fundamental, strong triangles. Like, my game is very much like his game because I trained with him, you know, blue belt through to brown belt and uh he's a great guy and so i trained that whole time while i was in the army and uh yeah i just kept training all along the way got promoted to brown belt and then uh i got out of the military in 2018 due to some injuries so i could we'll get into that at some point but i've torn my acl three times none of them from jujitsu it was all military related stuff so all along this journey that i just told you about jujitsu I tore my ACL at three different points along that and uh, recuperated, kept training. While I was in Kuwait, actually, I tore it and I also tore my shoulder while I was in Kuwait. Um, I was teaching a guy some jujitsu and he spiked me on my shoulder. I was like, what are you doing? God damn. <laughs> yeah, he separated my AC joint in my left shoulder. I had a grade three separation and uh, yeah, I had to get my so shoulder basically like sutured back together. So now when you look at me, when I stand, I'm already crooked because I have scoliosis, but now I'm like even more crooked. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was fun. So I tore my shoulder, tore my knee a bunch of times, jacked up my back and it was all just in, like stupid stuff in the military. It wasn't anything even combat related, which, which sucked. And, uh, so anyway, I got out of the military in 2018 and then, uh, after I got out of the military, I was still in El Paso. And the only reason I was really still there was because of my jujitsu gym and because I had a girlfriend at the time. And then once me and my girlfriend broke up, I was like, well, there's not really any other reason for me to be here. So I moved from El Paso back to Illinois near Chicago, which is where I am now. And uh, cause my family and stuff lives around here. And uh, I started training at BJJ lab, which is where I train now. So I showed up to them as a brown belt. They welcomed me. It was amazing. The instructors were all, amazing my professor mark is like a six-time national champion he's a he was one of the first people to get his black belt directly from damian maya um so mark is incredible um all the professors at our academy are great um brasileiro champions world champions you know whatever we have it all and so showing up there as a brown belt especially a brown belt coming from like a smaller town and a smaller gym i was kind of like i hope i don't show up and like get wrecked and to be honest when i first showed up like it was close like like i did well but i was also like okay this is like a, a bigger time academy and these guys are a little bit higher level so i was like you know i was hanging in there with the purple and brown belts but like the black belts were all killing me and then uh but it was like good this is like this is what i wanted because i was like hoping to find a, you know a bigger gym with more people, higher quality training partners, all that. Yeah. So I, I just kept training and then, you know, slowly but surely over time, I built a stronger relationship at BJJ lab. And then eventually Mark, uh, got the trust in me to, he promoted me to, well, he started letting me teach first back in about, Jan yes. Wow. Has it already been that many months around January of this year, Mark started letting me teach a few classes. So I started with teaching the morning classes. Um, because our, our academy has grown so much over the last few years that people are like, hey, can we have more classes? Can we have more classes? So 
we added morning classes, we added noon classes, we added more evening classes. So I teach Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday now. And uh, I started out just teaching um, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings. And, you know, he, he trusted me with that. He likes the way I teach. Um, I'm very, like, analytical with my jiu-jitsu. I'm a big fan of, like, Gordon Ryan, John Donaher. I have, like, all of Donaher's DVDs. So I always try to explain like why technique works and getting people to understand like the concept behind the move. And like, once you understand this, you can like sweeps, for example, it's like, once you understand that if you just off balance somebody to a side, but you've taken away their base on, that's pretty much how all sweeps work. And then you just got to figure out how to make them do that. Right. So, uh, he trusted me with teaching. So after teaching for a while, he, uh, decided it was time he promoted me to black belt and i was super happy about that and yeah, yeah. um no that that's a hell of a journey dude like every time you know i ask anyone you know about you know what what got them started with jujitsu you know everyone's got a different story everybody's got a fascinating story but it, you know it's like pretty much everyone's very similar and you know i showed up to a gym and then you know just started training or you know they they wrestled you know not even necessarily wrestled but it was like ah, you know wrestled around with my brothers you know or you know my cousins or something and just took to it just started so uh you you've had a fascinating journey though so it, you know and, and not just yeah just with the journey though it's like you've gotten to see like you said you, you were over in kuwait you know, just training, just, just, you know, like, eh, you know, we got some downtime and that's a different experience in itself. Like, yeah, you know. it was cool. I got lucky with that. Um, towards the end of that trip in Kuwait, there was actually a black belt who showed up. His name was Hanato Fritas and he was a black belt from Hoist Gracie. And, uh, he showed up and I was like, Hey, we have this little club if you ever want to come. And so he actually started teaching classes for like the last month I was there. And I think he had kept it going after I left, you know, stuff like that. It, I think, I don't, I don't know that people outside of the jujitsu community get how important it is to us, but not just that when, you know, you have something like, like, you know, what you all had in Kuwait, and you got a, you know, Gracie black belt, hoist Gracie black belt come over and you extend the invite and most things, let's say basketball, football, you know, just, I always say with jujitsu, it's one of those sports where you can actually meet, you know, a superstar in the game and train with them. For sure. And, you know, whereas we're not, you know, I'm not shooting basketball with LeBron anytime soon. Yeah, you know that's just not available to me. <laughs> yeah. But in in this in this sport in this community of ours, we have that opportunity, and just you know you extend that invite, and you know he shows up. You know, and I'm sure a big part of it is out of respect for what you all are doing, but also, you know, again, it's that community thing about jujitsu that we have. So that's pretty yeah. awesome, dude. Yeah, jujitsu is a small community. And then the army is also a small community. So it's like when you have jujitsu people within the army, it's like you kind of magnate or ma magnetate. <laughs> you know what the word I'm looking for? Gravitate. You gravitate towards each other. Yeah, that's the word. 
and so yeah all these people who were into grappling we just kind of found it and at one point this little club that we had started in kuwait had like 20 dudes that would show up it was pretty cool but uh yeah it's great that there's something there's something about jujitsu that i think relates to the veteran community because it's like a it's a combined this is going to sound weird but it's like a combined struggle where you like you and your training partners, you're basically pretending to wage war on each other in the pursuit of getting better at potentially waging war on others. So it makes perfect like, sense. In jujitsu, you're doing it with your hands. In the military, you're doing it with you know guns and tanks and whatever. But it's like the goal is the same. You want to be like the best killer you can be, you know? So I think a lot of veterans when they get out of the military, they find themselves looking for something to like fill that void. And that's why a lot of veterans flow right into jujitsu because it's like, it's hard. So it's like the military and like you struggle, you kind of get your ass kicked a little bit as you're learning how to do it. But then you also build this camaraderie with the people, like certain people will drift away and they'll fade out. But the ones who stay strong with, and like you find someone who you go from like white belt to black belt with, like that's gonna be your homie. Cause you've spent hours and hours on the mat, like simulating murder on each other. <laughs> that, that's one thing I always say since having started jujitsu, you know, every time I meet like my neighbor, he's, uh, um, he was in the army as well. And once we got uh, connected and started talking, you know, my first, I was like, all right, I need to get this guy over to the gym. I need to get him on the mat. I always want to grapple with people I meet. It's not even a matter of like dominance. It's a matter of like, I want to, you know, you, you find out a lot about people when you're on the <laughs> yeah. mat with them. Yeah. You find out their temperament, you know, how they handle pressure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just there are these little beats about people that you find out when you're grappling and putting them in an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. You know, like whether it be, you know, the guy who's never touched a mat before in his life, doesn't know anything about grappling. He comes out there, he gets mounted and taps to the claustrophobia of just right. being under someone's mount. Now that's not necessarily say, oh, they're weak, but that's something, you know, they'll, you know, that's something they know that they'll have to kind of grow out of or get comfortable with and, and come to understand. But, you right. know, now, you know, okay, put this person in that position so they can start, you know, understanding that it's not that bad. You're okay. You know, there's a way out of this, you know, stuff like that. Um, I did get my neighbor actually to come over to the gym. And I mean, one thing that can be said about him is he's, is he's got good top pressure for someone who's never grappled before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really good, uh, you know, top control. And, and, you know, it, it was, you know, I, I assumed, you know, oh, okay. You took part in combatives, like, tell me more. And, Right. It's like, eh, you know, I, not really. It's like, okay, but, but it, what you're saying though with the veteran community, and you know, then you couple that with with jujitsu, uh, you know, that's one thing we tend to see out here at our gym as well. I think it's just kind of a natural, you know, connection for the two. So, right, you know, good, good. Yeah, same thing with wrestling. People who like they get out of wrestling. And whether it was college wrestling or just high school wrestling, it's like they get done with wrestling and they miss it. And it's like, well, there's not really professional wrestling unless you're like an Olympian. 
So what do you do? Yeah. Well, jujitsu. It's it's like it's like it's like wrestling's neighbor, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's one thing I've said many times um, on here. I'm, you know, is one thing that scares me is a wrestler who's embraced jujitsu and and you know the comfort of you know working from your guard. I mean, that's the whole thing. Is as you go, you just gotta start putting it all together. Everyone is like. You can't learn everything at once, right? So yeah. everyone, you start wherever you start. You walk into your first jujitsu class, whatever they're teaching, the move of the day, that's the first thing you learn. And it's different for everyone. You might walk in when people are teaching arm bars. You might walk in when they're teaching the closed guard. You might walk in when they're teaching sweeps. And like a lot of your style can really be based just off of what they happen to be teaching the day you walk in or the style of your coaches or uh you know when i lived in el paso a lot of the guys that i trained with were like small but quick little like hispanic dudes so i kind of developed like a smaller more inverted agile game just rolling with all those savages trying to keep up with those little monsters so now i'm this six foot two hundred and eighty pound guy who has like a good inversion guard retention type game you know so it's like you know you, you can benefit from that type of stuff if you're willing to learn like i sucked at playing guard when i first started i was a wrestler i like taking people down and smashing them i did mma i had four mma fights i took people down and i smashed them that was my style and it's still my style in jiu-jitsu i take people down and i smash them if i can but now i have a guard <laughs> i didn't used to have a guard but when i was a blue belt i was like you know what i'm gonna spend the next year learning how to play guard so every time i rolled i would if i had the option i would start on bottom and I would recommend that to anyone who uh, is training jujitsu is like, uh, don't just make your goal like to show up and get better. Like when you show up, be like, I want to get better at the flower sweep today. So when we get the chance to open roll, I'm going to attempt the flower sweep on everyone. And I might get it zero times the first day I try it. But you do that over the course of a week, two weeks, three weeks. And before you know it, you're sweeping everybody. And everyone's asking you, hey, man, how do you do that sweep? <laughs> yeah, I actually just saw a post late last night that was um, essentially to, you know, what it's saying was it, you know, it, it's not just showing up. You don't get better by just showing up, you know, then that's always the saying. It's like, you know, you, you know, you keep showing up, you'll get better. It, it It's not completely true. Yeah, he was saying it was a myth. And, you know, what it is, is like you got to have, you know, kind of a focused plan when you go in. And I think since COVID, that's been where I've, you know, I've just been showing up, mm -hmm. you know. And then this morning I was like, OK, can't just show up, yeah. come in with a plan. And and I, I'm I'm great at defending. I never attack yeah. unless it's something you like if if you fall into something for me. I'll go for it. Oh, Kimura, don't mind if I do. But like today, I was like, all right, I I don't you know I'm rolling with uh, uh, this this uh, newer guy. He's, he's a wrestler, which he's fun. He he he's always moving. I love it. You know, it, it, it's it's different because you know most guys you know they kind of hunker down, work their position. This dude is just constantly moving. Um, but he stumbled into my guard. I was like. Okay, here we are. You got to do something. So 
you know, he's doing the typical white belt, you know, putting his arm back to push my leg off. I was like, oh my God, you're, you're seeing, just take the triangle. So I was like, right. all right, shoot. And he, he's a taller guy. So I, you know, shot my hips up. I, you know, got the diamond. Then he started standing up. And I was like, don't you dare stand me up in front of coach. Do not carry me. And then time, time was over. You know, we laughed about it. Then we switched positions. I got his back. And again, I don't normally attack. And I was like, here's your chance. You need to start attacking. That's yeah. your goal for the next month and a half, two months. Come in and attack. Do not come in and survive. Come in and just try to attack. Right. So, I, How long have you been training for? I've been consistently training. Eh, I started training, what was it, 2015. Okay. And then it was kind of that first year, first year and a half was only once a week. Mm -hmm. Then once I changed jobs, I you couldn't keep me away from that gym. I was in there every single day. Like we weren't open on Sunday. I was like, coach, hey, can you open up the gym? Like, you know, I got a couple guys, open mat, please. Yeah. You know, any opportunity I can get on those mats, we, we were there. Uh, once I got promoted to Blue Belt, we had some changes. We we moved locations and the schedule got a little weird for me. And I was like, okay, let me try to still get in when I can. And you know, we figured it out. I was, I was at the gym at least six out of seven days. Yeah. And then COVID hit. And then after COVID hit, you know, we would sneak in, a teammate and I, and we would just train one-on-one. -on -one yeah. And just try to do the best that we could with what we had. Right. And once and we COVID came, made stuff weird for sure. Yeah. It, it's just, I, I don't, well, I think also for me, what, before COVID, because I was going so much, my wife had to tell me one day, it was like, hey, so your kid hasn't seen you this week. So, you know, other than bedtime, because my wife works nights. So I'd come home, do the bedtime routine, and then right. I go to bed myself. She was like, yeah, your daughter's wondering, like, who's that strange guy? It's like, oh, okay. So, Never good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, who's this guy? Like, I'm your dad. Like, who? Um, but when COVID hit, it was kind of a breath of fresh air at first. Like it was a blessing in disguise, you know, and that's not to make light of anyone who fell ill and passed or, you know, still suffering effects, but it slowed me down. It stopped me from, you know, basically not seeing my family. So yeah. during that first month, it was just that, like my wife, she couldn't go back to work um, for a while. I was still working. But that's all I was doing. It was just work and then come home and spend time with family. Yeah. So, you know, we caught up on movies because we're, we're big movie buffs. So, like, you know, we haven't had a, you know, evening to sit down and watch movies or anything. So we got back into that. And then once it became apparent that we could kind of get over to the gym a little bit and train, we just couldn't have organized classes. And it was like, okay, I'm back. I'm back to it. So. Yeah. A couple days a week. And, but then even from that, after that, it's almost like once I got that break, I didn't feel like thing, things didn't feel the same. Yeah, I had to try to figure out. And that's where I am now, as, as we're two years back on the mat, 
trying to get my brain back to where I was before, where I was, you know, you couldn't keep me away from the gym. Now it's like I get to the gym, I feel alive, I get out there, I do what I need to do, hang around for about 10, 15 minutes after class. It, like I was in love with jujitsu. Like mm-hmm. right now, I'm in like with jujitsu. You know, we're mm-hmm. going steady, but before we we were we were on our way to walk down the aisle. Now it's just well, you know puppy love. So yeah. that's where I am. I'm trying to get back to like fully committed to it. Yeah, well, it's it has its ups and downs. There's plenty of times where you know along the way you're question like man am i just like never going to get better at this am i never going to make progress and you know you do kind of lose motivation but that's where it's like just keep showing up just, like that's where that part comes in because like yeah you're, you're gonna have the bad days but it's like there's you know it's you probably heard it on reels or whatever motivational speakers but it's like yeah you don't need motivation you need discipline so when you just make it part of your routine to where it's like you know it doesn't have to be every day but if you train three, four days a week, you will get consistently better over time. If you're training one or two days a week, it might take a while. But in my opinion, three to four is like perfect. That's all you need to like steadily progress. And as long as you do that consistently, it doesn't have to be obsessive. Just, you know, uh, a committed hobbyist is all you need. And, you know, you, you put in the time and before you know it, you'll be a black belt. That, that was when I switched jobs and I had that period where I was there. I'm going to say it was probably two years, just two straight years of just consistently being there. Like, what was it? Uh, what was our schedule? It used to be Monday night. We'd have, uh, you know, our six, seven o'clock class. Uh, Tuesday, I would coach the uh, kids. Wednesday, I would train in the morning and train in the evening. Thursday, coach kids. Friday, they were kind of on and off for the open mat. Saturday, if I could get in on a Saturday morning, because I work Saturday mornings. But sometimes my manager would like, eh, go ahead and go, you know, go train. Like, you, you'll be fine. We, you know, we're okay here. Then Sunday, we started doing open mat. So it was like, but the main classes were the uh, Monday and Wednesday for me. And that's where I felt best. That's where I felt like, okay, I'm really absorbing because you get that Monday class, you learn here. You go to Wednesday twice, and what you learned on Monday connects to Wednesday. And then you take it to open mat, and you start drilling. I just felt so much like, okay, this is it. This is where it's connecting. And right now, it and it is a discipline thing for me, for sure. So for you training like in the Chicago area, what's the jujitsu scene like there in Illinois for you? Is it like, as far as like other academies near you, you guys, you know, do you cross train at all any, or is it just kind of everybody kind of stays in their own lane and guys see each other at competitions? I know you all just recently had the Chicago open. Yeah. It's kind of different. It's definitely different. This scene near Chicago. I don't live in Chicago. I live in like the suburbs just outside. Like in El Paso, El Paso is kind of like isolated from everything outside of it. So within El Paso, there was like, I don't know, let's say there was like seven decent sized jujitsu gyms, which is pretty big for having like one town. 
and but we would all cross train all the time so it was cool we would get together and we would have like a, a monthly open mat that would get like 100 people and so it was like in el paso the idea was kind of like you know people are trying to be the best in the world not the best in el paso like andy varela i don't know if you're familiar with him he just got silver at adcc trials he's from el paso i used to train with him all the time in el paso he was a monster he's a savage strangled me every time i trained with him um <laughs> uh he's in vegas now but like you know he, he was from el paso and then he eventually moved to vegas to get a bigger better whatever scene but like i like that but then when i moved up here there are people who cross train and there's like you know the local 10th planet they have uh, open mat on sundays um and there's other people who do too but it's not as popular for people to cross train like certain people do certain people will travel but it's like everything's so far apart like not distance wise but just because of traffic like i only live i only live eight miles from my academy but it takes me 25 minutes to get there depending on traffic you know so to go to the 10th planet that's in lombard it takes me over an hour to get there and it's only like 20 minutes away so it's like it's kind of a pain so luckily our gym though like it's full of savages so it's like you don't really need to go cross train if you don't want to but like it always helps i'm not against cross training i recommend it to anybody honestly and i'm, and I'm a huge fan of like people take like jujitsu trips where they'll like go to austin and they'll like train at b team or they'll train at new wave it's like i've never done that myself personally yet but i would love to do something like that in the future that's something that's been I've been kind of toying with it lightly here in Maryland with the ideal of eh, possibly another show ideal. Um, as if I don't have enough podcasts. <laughs> Sheesh. But yeah, I, I don't think there's a problem. You know, some places that, you know, they kind of frown upon cross training. I, I, like I said, you know, this community, you know, we're, we've all got the same goal. You know, that's the, to be you know, better at what we do. Yeah. So, you know, going to other gyms, that's been something I've been thinking about, you know, just kind of, because oddly enough in our little area here in Maryland, we have quite a few gyms, but yeah. it's just, it, you know, just out of the blue, just, you you know, you'll be driving, you'll see like, oh shit, there's a, there's a gym right there. You know, they're everywhere go. now. It's great. Like, <laughs> go say hello, you know, see how everybody's doing. But, you know, it's not like the Cobra Kai days and then like the eighties, you know, it's like, Oh, there's a, a local dojo. Let's go storm it. Yeah. Like, here's like, Oh, there's another jump. Hey, how's it going? Cool. I'm gone. Say, yeah. You know, but I always wonder that with a lot of people, because, you know, people have different opinions on cross training. Most people that I've encountered though, you know, you know, think it's a good ideal. You shouldn't concern yourself with anybody who thinks cross training is bad. Like, yeah, I've only met one person who's been <laughs> opposed to it, and I was like, "Wow!" Like they were very, very opposed. I was like, "Okay, you, hey, hey, relax." It used to be more of a thing back in like the earlier days of jujitsu, is because like jujitsu was like it was almost like such a rare thing that people like tried to like covet their knowledge and they didn't want to share it. But yeah. now it's like. Like BJJ fanatics is a thing. So you can literally just go on there and you can download all of it. So it's like, what's the point of not allowing people to cross train? It, it literally is like, it's just insecurity. What are you afraid that they're going to leave your gym and go train there? It's like, well, maybe you suck at coaching, be a better coach. And then they won't want to leave. You know? And, and that's my thought. It's like, look, man, if you love your gym and you know, 
just about everyone that I've trained with at one gym or the other, and my own included, you know, we've all loved our gym. Yeah. It's like because there's a community within that. There's a family atmosphere that's built off of that where, you know, yeah. me going to other gyms, everyone that I've, you know, touched base with at different gyms, all wonderful people. Yeah. You know? Each gym has its own, like, personality, though, for sure. Like, yes. I got lucky, like, when I moved up here to Illinois, I just, I picked a town that was kind of, like, centrally located to my family. But, and I looked ahead of time. I was like, is there at least a couple of jiu-jitsu gyms in the area? And, they, you know, there was. There was a couple. I was like, okay. So then when I picked where I wanted to live, I was just like, all right, let's go see which jiu-jitsu academy I like the best. So I literally just looked on Google, and I found BJJ Lab. It was the first one I went to. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like the vibe was very similar to my previous academy. Everyone was super great. And like there's a ton of veterans and stuff there. So it's like I just fit right in, you know? And was like that's not to say though that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with like if you go to a jiu-jitsu academy and you just feel like it's not working, like try a different one. There's nothing wrong with trying a different one. It could be just the personalities. It doesn't mean they're bad at jujitsu. You just might not click with the people there. And that can happen. There's just different people at different places and you know yeah the first gym that i um i trained at i did a trial there and all nice people it the vibe just wasn't for me yeah uh, it, I, like i'm more of a hobbyist and everyone in that gym was looking to be um it, it was well i was going to the nogi classes and most of these guys were more, more so looking to train mma mm, right you know i was like look i'm just i'm just trying i love mma but I'm just trying to learn because initially what I started it all for was, you know, I was like, look, I want to do a podcast. This was many years ago. I didn't even start the podcast. And I just fell in love with jujitsu and was like, fuck that podcast. It, you know, that we're never doing that. Here we are now. Yeah. And honestly, most of the time, it's not even about jujitsu on here. Most of the time we're talking about comic books. So and <laughs> horror movies. But right. um, but that gym, you know, everybody was looking to be the next UFC champion and i was like i'm I, that energy is a little too intense for me i'm just a, a old dude that want to come here get a good workout in and you know channel some of my energy you know because playing football was not working out for my joints anymore i was taking too many uh hits like just rattling my brain i was like okay we got to find something different but and, and that's the thing. I don't think those guys are bad. I, I bumped into them at uh, one of our local um, MMA shows out here, Shogun Fights. Still wonderful guys, right. but just not the gym for me. And, you know, when people, you know, that I know out in that area, that, you know, they ask about putting their kids in a jiu-jitsu gym, I do recommend that gym. I say check them out. Um, we also, our gym has an affiliate gym out that way as well. So I tell them, you know, here are three gyms to go look at, you know. I can let you know we have a, an excellent kids program. I'm not sure about their kids program, but, you know, the guys that run the gym are really, really nice guys. So I think that's always important, you know, a distinction, an important distinction to make there is, again, just because the gym didn't work for you doesn't mean that the gym is a bad gym. Right. So. Yeah, there's definitely a different vibe between, like, an MMA-focused gym and, like, a jiu-jitsu-focused gym. When I was at that MMA gym in El Paso, I still had some aspirations of potentially fighting MMA in the future. But then after I kept injuring my knee 
and I tore my ACL, it's like now the whole reason I stopped doing MMA is because I feel like if I took a good leg kick, my knee would probably just explode. So I was like, I'll just stick to jujitsu. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Like injuries happen. Um, I'm not like not to say I don't compete still. I uh, haven't competed recently, but it's just hard, you know, because like once you get to like the brown and black belt level, it's like most of the people at that level are like basically like semi-professional athletes. So it's like any little weakness is going to be detrimental, you know. So when you have ripped up knees and stuff, it's not to say you can't win. It's just going to be really hard. So that's why I've personally just focused more on teaching as of late. I get just as much joy out of teaching people and then seeing them compete and win as I do like competing myself. So it's like that's kind of what, you know, Donaher did is like he has a bum. He has a messed up leg. So he just trains world class killers. So it's like, hey. You know, if I can follow somewhat along that route, I'd be happy with that. There's joy in that, too. You know, to see the impact that you may have had as a coach or a mentor, as a teacher, as an instructor, you know, that that's extremely rewarding. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you're better served just doing that, just, you know, leading instead of, you know, and it's always, you know, a nice thing to say, okay, you know, lead by example, your coaches out there, you know, kicking ass and winning, you know, gold medals. That's cool. But also what's cool is a guy that's focused 100% on you as an athlete. So, you know, that, that my friend is, is probably the, the, you know, more important thing for you, I think. But, you know, I got a question though, about when, when you first went to your gym uh, and you were talking about the vibe there, because, one of the things that got me with my gym, I wore a Spider-Man shirt and I came in, all the eyes locked. And then we got to talking. And then it was like, oh my God, these they're all nerds like me. Oh, right. We're into this. Well, so it was the veteran like it was the veteran community that drew me into so, the BJJ definitely. lab. Yeah. We have a lot of first responders, police, firefighters, veterans, all that. So uh yeah, I showed up and uh Mark is a former, or I shouldn't say former Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine, right? Mark's a Marine. Uh, we have another guy who's a Marine. We have another guy who uh, is from somewhere near the Mediterranean who was like special forces. Um, so, yeah, I just, I met everybody and I kind of was like, oh, okay, I should fit right in here. And then Mark is just a great guy. My professor, Mark, um, you know, being one of Damien's black belts, he's a six-time national champion, just so he's amazing at jiu-jitsu. So BJJ Lab specifically, but jiu-jitsu in general, is like, it can be as big of a part of your life as you want it to be, depending on your academy. Our academy is like, has a very like, it's almost like a family vibe. We help each other out outside of the gym whenever we can. We get together for like cookouts and birthdays and, you know, we try to be very tight-knit at our gym and we try to rely on each other for stuff. And, uh, you know, Mark being a veteran, me being a veteran, a bunch of other people being first responders and veterans, we have a lot of resources that most people probably don't. So one of the cool things that I did at BJJ Lab was uh, when Hurricane Ida hit like a year and a half ago, like four of us from the gym, me, Mark, this other guy, and uh, Peter, we all drove in a truck from Chicago down to New Orleans with food, water, all this stuff, and just helped people during the hurricane. We took chainsaws and cut trees off of people's houses. And, uh, you know, we just 
we like we just felt like we wanted to go help some people you know especially with everything going on in the world at the time and so that kind of spawned the overwatch foundation which is a uh, a thing that um we do now that uh mark is very heavily involved with the war effort over in ukraine one of our training partners yuri is from ukraine his family is over there still uh yuri is an american citizen now but his whole family is from ukraine so you know it all started with they just wanted to take yuri home to check on his family and then ended up with them like they've been getting like tourniquets first aid kits plate carriers armor all this stuff so it's it's really amazing mark's a mark's a great guy he, he really finds how to bring the best out of people that's what you want an instructor you know yeah i mean well and, and that's the thing like you said you know the family vibe that y'all have there and just you know going down and helping with the hurricane those are things that i feel like that just strengthens you know just helping others and doing it together you know right you know it, it's you know, I feel like most gyms, you know, you know, they have that that closeness, but even still with that, you know, there still is, you know, some, you know, matters of like, okay, you'll get guys that come in, they kind of come and do their thing and then leave. But as an overall, you know, if you can establish a good close knit uh, family feel, you know, I think, you know, your gym, any gym, you know, is doing you know the right thing it's doing you know you know the right thing for the community too because i always say this as a kid from um you know having been through uh you know from detroit went through the foster care system ended up in flint michigan just you know these rough communities and you know one thing that you don't see a lot of is that community feel you know something like you know, a gym, a, you know, a jiu-jitsu academy, and it's like mm-hmm. any anything of that matter, you know, just bringing people together. So, what, what do you all have there? You know, that sounds amazing. You know, yeah. Uh, you said you were you were in the foster care system. I also went through the foster care system as a kid. That's something uh-huh. else we can get into. Like, I kind of just started my life at nine years old earlier when I started my jiu-jitsu journey, but. uh before all of that, when I lived with my mom, I lived in Washington State, and that was a much different life. My life with my dad was pretty good and pretty stable, but when I lived with my mom, it was wild chaos. My mom was addicted to every drug there was. I was one of four siblings. Um, we pretty much raised ourselves. We ran. We were latchkey kids, ran around all day doing what the hell ever we wanted, whenever we wanted. It's amazing. I almost got kidnapped one time. <laughs> Almost got hit by a car. Well, I did get hit by a car. It just didn't hit me that bad. It hit my bike. Yeah, so I was in foster care three times before the age of nine. And then the third time is when uh, my dad finally found out about it and uh, got custody of me. That was a whole big issue. The state of Washington failed to notify my dad that my mom was like, you know, failing to think. Luckily, thank God my mom now is she's been clean and good. She's doing a lot better. She lives in Michigan now with my sisters. And, you know, she's a grandma doing her thing now. So she's better now. But, you know, me and my siblings went through a lot because of her when we were younger. Um, me and my older brother got put in one foster home. My two sisters got put in another foster home. 
they got adopted by that foster mom. So I like didn't even see them for like eight years until after high school. Um, yeah, that's a whole crazy thing. Like all my siblings, we have the same mom, but we're from different dads. So when my dad got custody of me, he couldn't get custody of my brother. So when I got pulled out of foster care, I had to leave my older brother. And that was like the worst thing. And then I didn't, and then I didn't talk to him for like six years because this was like pre-social media and all that. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, needless to say from my childhood and all that and being in foster care, switching homes and switching schools and all this stuff all the time, I sort of developed like attachment and like, you know, all that stuff. So been working with that my whole life. It's always good. <laughs> James, you and I are, you know, pretty much everything that you just said there. It's like, except for I didn't have sisters. My mom had all boys. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was the oldest of the four. Um, and three of us ended up with one family, wonderful family in Flint. The youngest, ended up with a nice family in Flint as well. They eventually adopted him. Um, once at what, 90 in 1990, I was 12. My, my grandparents adopted me because I was the oldest. So it's like, look, he's 12. It's only six years. I do can get out at 18. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Um, I didn't like, like I turned 18. They're like, I'll stay longer. It's like, okay. You're dying. But in my uncle, he took on two of my my uh, two younger brothers, the two in the middle. And our mom, you know, she's still kicking up there in Michigan. Um, it, it's it's a difficult relationship between she and I, um, but we communicate. It's we, we fight more like we're siblings. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, there's always the joke in the family because my grandparents adopted me. So legally, they're my parents. So my uncle always calls me nephew brother. <laughs> um, and, you know, just weird things like that. But, yeah, we, we, we are parking our cars in the same garage, my friend. Yeah, you know, stuff like that growing up, it like it sucks. But at the same time, it like it definitely forged some character into me that I don't think I would have developed otherwise. Like. Mm-hmm. My personality is uh, my whole life. I was always very driven because I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, sorry if I'm not supposed to swear. Nah, you're um, good. But yeah, like growing up, luckily the one thing my mom told me when I was young is she told me that to always make sure I go to school and to make sure I learn as much as I can. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So like, I, I don't even know how as a kid I made it to school on time because my mom never woke me up for school. Like I just woke up and went. You know, and it was like, like some embarrassing things happened. Like I showed up to school one time. I think I was in like first grade. I went to bed and I, I, I was a first grader. I didn't know. I just woke up, went to school. I used to we used to live on the same street as the school. So I would just walked to school. So I literally like woke up, rolled out of bed and just walked to school. And uh, I got there. And my teacher was like, oh, my God, James, are you OK? I was like, huh, what? She was like, you smell like pee. I was like, what? I, like, I was a clueless first grader. I had no freaking idea. She called my mom. Uh, are you aware that your son's here? Like, just typical drug addict mom stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, I got older and I started realizing that I was like, oh, okay, this isn't how everyone's life is. I was like, so 
you know, it forces you to grow up quick. I'm sure you get, got told your whole life that you were very mature for your age. I've always got sure much. Yeah. It's like, well, I sort of had to be, you know, I like saw some crazy shit as a kid. I saw my babysitter get punched in the face by her dad one time when I was like seven. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I, I said to my wife joking. Well, today I was joking uh, with my daughter because it was dinner time. I was like, you know, says to my daughter, I was like, Sophie, you're going to go make us dinner. She's six. And she goes, I don't know how to cook. And then, you know, I, my, you know, retort to that was, I mean, that, you know, I, I was cooking at six. And my wife goes on a stove. I was like, yes. Like, she goes, sorry about that. <laughs> she goes, well, I'm sorry. Our kid didn't have to go into survival mode, you know, before the age of 10. I was like, oh, I mean, it's what got me here. So, and then I received to tell the story about how, Yes, I was cooking on the stove, but also as a as a little kid, I was curious. So, you know, you put hot water on the stove, it boils. That that seems logical. I saw a pot of oil and I was like, I wonder if you do that. Will the oil, you know, boil like water? As a seven-year-old kid, you forget things like turning the fire on when there's a pot of oil. So, you know, I went and played. I'm sitting in the dining room and I see flickering on the kitchen wall like light. And I go in, there's a big ass flame just engulfing the kitchen. I was like, <sighs> and fortunately, there was someone home. Normally, it was just my brothers and I at home. No one was ever home with yeah. us. Fortunately, my uncle, who at the time was a uh, male stripper who would cross over to Canada to go dance and make his <laughs> Canadian dollars, fortunately, he was home and asleep. Yeah. So I run upstairs, I bang on the door, he comes down. The the fire was actually just kind of isolated to the to the pot, the saucepan. Right. So it wasn't too too bad. So he grabbed the towel, grabbed the fire, or you know, grabbed the pot and threw it out, you know, the front door. He ran it across, you know, the dining room, living room, tossed out on the front lawn. But um, you know, just after I told that story and I looked at my daughter, I was like, yeah, okay. So yeah, you don't have to make dinner tonight. <laughs> it was like, like maybe, maybe we're breaking generational curses here. Maybe you won't set something on fire. Yeah. Everyone else in our family has. Yeah. Some people though, they don't like, I'm sure I, I, I bet there's people out there who still experience that struggle. There has to be, but it's like, yeah, I'm certain. Like, it's weird growing up as a kid and then it's like there's just no food in the house and you're hungry and you're like huh what do i do about this i don't know how to like i don't know how to hunt i'm a child you know so i remember like just like you were saying i was like maybe seven eight years old one time and i was like at the house it was probably summertime because i wasn't at school and you know i always liked school because school was like one of my guaranteed meals every day i would go to school and it's like hey i get to eat lunch great and then usually after school, I'll go to a friend's house and mooch dinner off of them. That was kind of like how I survived. But uh, in the summer, it became hard, right? So I was home one day. I was super hungry. I was like, I need to eat something. I found a can of carrots in the cabinet. And I was like, all right, I'll just warm these up. So I found what I thought was like a pan. It turned out to be like a pie tin. And I put it on like the stove. And I just put the carrots in it. And so this pie tin started like bowing up and like get turned all red. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then I turned it off and I was like eating these like half cold, bushy carrots. But I was like, I'm so hungry. But uh, yeah, you know, that was the type of shit I did as a kid just to get by. But uh, now, now I, I live, you know, I, 
I did 10 years in the military, had a great time. Most, well, not really. Military was kind of its own deal. But uh, I, uh, I did my 10 years in the military, got out, and uh, now I, you know, am blessed to be able to teach jujitsu and, like, yeah, jujitsu filled like a really big hole in my life that, uh, but yeah, it's like hard sometimes when you lose your career and then you lose like a girlfriend and like, you know, I'm sh everyone has their struggles, but I, uh, you know, I actually, after the third time I tore my ACL, I actually developed like clinical depression. Um, that was another thing that led to me getting out of the military ultimately. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's just like mental health is a real thing. You, you can get into like a deep, deep pit to where like you just don't want to do anything. But luckily, I I always wanted to go to jujitsu, even when I didn't feel like doing anything. I was like, well, I'll go to jujitsu because I always feel better when I do jujitsu. Even when I tore my ACL and I could barely train, I would go to jujitsu and I would just like drill. And my coach thought I was a freaking madman because I was back on the mats like, you know, not training, but like just there watching and observing like days after my surgery, you know? And he was always like, even after all of your injuries, you always came back better than you were when you left. And, you know, I did, the reason I was able to accomplish that was because in the off time, I was always watching jujitsu. I was thinking about jujitsu. I was watching UFC. I was, you know, I'm a student of the game. I love martial arts. I like learning about everything. So, you know, I got myself a BJJ Fanatics account. Like, for anyone out there, if you plan on being a serious grappler, get a BJJ Fanatics account. It's like you can literally find anything on there for whatever game you like to play, from whatever instructor you like. And so, yeah, I just I was sitting on my couch, popping my freaking painkillers, watching BJJ Fanatics videos, and that's how I recouped for you know three four months after each of my knee after each of my ACL surgeries had to go through that shit three separate times. Yeah. What happened uh, with the uh, ACL injuries? Like how'd that happen? If, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah. So the first time was during my, it was in between my junior and senior year of ROTC when I was in college. So I went to this leadership assessment course they do in ROTC that used to be in Fort Lewis. It used to be called LDAC. It has a different name now, but uh, it was basically the leadership assessment course. So I went to that, did really well. Um, and then when I got back, I started my senior year at Indiana University and uh, we were doing some PT and I just jumped off of something. And when I came down, I just landed weird and blew out my knee. Complete tear, blew my entire ACL out tore my meniscus. Um, yeah, that sucked. Uh, went to the hospital, did an MRI. They're like, yeah, your ACL is torn. So had surgery like a week later. And then uh, I basically had like, this was in like, I think August. And I basically had until like June to recoup my knee and pass a PT test in order to be able to commission active duty as an infantry officer, which is like, what I had just spent my entire life working to do, right? <laughs> I specifically like trained really hard in high school and like got good grades and got to college and did ROTC so that I could 
be an officer in the military. And I had accomplished, I was on the, on the cusp of accomplishing that goal. And then I tear my ACL. So I recouped my knee during my senior year of ROTC and my senior year of, you know, college, which that was a bummer having a torn ACL for most of my senior year, but ended up passing that PT test I needed to take commissioned. And then I got sent to Georgia to do my officer basic training basically. And then, uh, while I was there, I was doing some training and I tore it again. Um, so then I got sent to my duty station. I completed the training, but tore my knee in the process, got sent to my duty station, got my knee fixed again. And then, uh, when I was in Kuwait, like four years later, like my knee was good for a while. And then like four years later, when I was in Kuwait, I was literally just running on some gravel, took a corner and just slipped and bang, blew it out again. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I just went in a deep, dark hole after that because I had been working really hard to like, you know, recoup from these injuries all this time that I was active duty. And every time it just another one, another one. And then on my shoulder on top of that. So I hurt my knee. And then I was, I was trying to like do something on the side to keep myself in shape. So I like volunteered to teach combatives to people because this was, you know, I knew some jujitsu. So I, I was teaching people and this dude like just inexplicably spikes me on my shoulder. I was like, what, what are you doing? Like we're literally practicing right now. Why would you do that? You all oh, my bad, man. So then, so then I got home from Kuwait, had my shoulder and my knee fixed again. And then, uh, yeah, then I had like this whole thing with depression. So I was like struggling with work because I just like, because of my knee and my shoulder, like this still, I'm in pain every day because of them. I just don't really talk about it too much. I've just kind of learned, like, if you saw me on the mats, you would never know that I had three knee surgeries and a shoulder surgery because I've basically beat my body into compliance because I just refuse to not train. Cause it's like, even though it's not the best thing for me physically, it's by far the best thing for me mentally. And so it's like, whatever, you only get one body, might as well break it, right? <laughs> uh, I, I wonder sometimes, too, when it comes to going through so much um, adversity, especially when it comes to, like, ACL injuries, shoulder injuries, just injuries, period. I wonder if you get to a certain point, though, because I think I went through something like this with football in basketball where my body was just so beat up. I didn't know what was supposed to hurt anymore. So when you're out there, it's like you say, like people would never have known you've had these surgeries because, you know, you're going through it and you're, you know, it's just your body is kind of on autopilot almost. Like, like I mentioned to my wife, um, something about, you know, she looked at my hand, my fingers were just mangled. And she was like, doesn't that hurt? And, you know, it was like, no, I mean, it's just, it's uncomfortable, yeah. but I don't know what hurt is anymore. I'm not sure what pain necessarily is versus, you know, the average person who doesn't do anything, you know, as active as, as we do, you know, or, you know, and it's not to say jujitsu or grappling period is the toughest thing, you know, you know, you know, hockey players or lunatics, you know, football players aren't tightly wound. Rugby players are, you know, you know, hidden serial killers, I think. <laughs> you know, they, they, like all these crazy people doing these crazy things. But, you know, your average person, 
you know, they, they sneeze too hard and they throw their back out. You know, meanwhile, you know, we're out there getting twistered. <laughs> you know, and then we're like, oh, good roll. Right, let's run it back. It's like that meme, the average male thinks he's like 9,000% more capable in a fight than he actually is. It's like people have no idea how true that is. Like I can say confidently now, like, you know, now that I'm a black belt after a decade and some change of training, I think, I think the actual count is about 12 plus years and some change X, not even including my wrestling experience. Just since I started jujitsu in 2010, officially a funny story related to that. Right. So I went up to Michigan recently to visit my sisters, like, what was it last summer summer before either way um we're having a bonfire she has a couple of her local dude friends not athletes no martial arts training we get talking about jujitsu whatever and they're like oh yeah uh they're like all right let's wrestle i was like are you sure no like, yeah let's wrestle a little bit i'm like you're gonna lose like for sure <laughs> and my sister i love my older sister she's the best my older sister was also a marine I'm, i come from a military family my dad was in the army my older brother is currently in the Navy still. My older sister is a Marine. Um, my younger brother is still in the Army. Um, the only one who wasn't in the military is my younger sister, and that's just because she has some medical issues that aren't her fault, but disqualify her. But uh, anyway, so I'm like, all right. I was like, I'll grab with you guys. And so, this, you know, I grabbed this guy, just like a simple, like, collar tie and, like, wrist control, and he, like, just couldn't move. And he was like, oh, my God, you're so strong. And, and I was, like, barely touching him, you know. And then, you know, I put him in, a, like, a standing guillotine and tapped him, and then I let him go. And then he's like, all right, let's go again. And then I, like, took him down, swept him really easily, armbarred him, triangled him. You know, I just I, – I submitted him, like, four times in, like, literally, like, a minute. Just just show, not, not hurting him, just whatever. And uh, then I went with the other guy who uh, was – he was also a Marine. He That's how he knew my sister. He's a small guy, though, like 140 pounds and also, you know, no grappling training other than like the one day of combatives they give you in the Marine Corps. And so same thing, you know, took him down, submitted him. I even like let him take my back at one point and then just like threw him off me and then like choked him out. I was just like just showing him basically how like effortlessly I could just ragdoll them. And it's like people don't realize that like that's real. Like if you don't train and you come across someone who does train like. Other like unless you get lucky and you blast them with a haymaker, you have zero chance. <laughs> you know, I always talk about that a lot. With people say, "Look," in in uh, another thing too is like I try to explain is like my wife's best friend made a comment because they put their son in taekwondo, and you know I know we make jokes you know about it i think you know putting your kid in any martial art just to kind of build that that core discipline and just you know that routine i think is very important especially at a young age but you know i was you know my wife who sticks up for you know uh, jiu-jitsu she defends jiu-jitsu as if she does it she you know says well why don't you put them in jiu-jitsu and my wife's friend goes well you know thing is about those guys doing jujitsu they're all looking for fights they're all out there picking fights with people and they're all you know all these things and it was like you know when my wife brought this info back to me i then went on to facebook because that was my primary like thing at the time and just putting up all these memes and like posts saying you know some you know things like if you don't know 
if you've never been on a match, you'll, you, you know, you don't know, you know, shit like that. Just, you know, little light nods. And I know she, you know, she's a lurker. Um, so, you know, we did get to talk one day and I explained to her how, like, most of us that train, we don't, you know, we're not looking for fights. We don't want to fight, mm-hmm. you know. If anything, we're going to try to talk the situation down if there is a, like a threatening situation, unless, you know, the person puts their hands on us. And then even with that, we're just trying to contain them. We're not trying to beat them up. Because I think, yeah, she was talking about punches and kicks. I was like, we don't punch, nor do we kick. Right. Like, we are grapplers. We control a situation if we need to control it. But, um, you know, I always talk about it with friends where it's like, in any situation, any, you know, fight situation, it's like, yeah, if, if you're trying to fight somebody, you're going to empty your gas tank, just trying to throw haymakers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of us grapplers that's at least been doing it for at least a year, maybe two, understand, just cover up. They're going to get tired mm-hmm. and they're going to get close enough for us to grab them. And then we're just going to take them down and, we could hold them there or we could smash them. We could choke them. It's like they have no idea. And I always tell people, like, you have no idea how like quickly this could end for you. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, I'm not going to grapple with my friends and like I, I want to, but they don't, you know, most of them don't, don't want to do anything of that nature. It's like, you know, and granted, I'm, I'm in my 40s, like my mid 40s. What do I look like? Talk about, come on, dude, let's go wrestle in the lawn. I got some mats in the basement. Like, come on through, dude. Um, But, you know, people, most people are very clueless as to, and not even just jujitsu, even if you wrestled, you know, that that control that you have with wrestling. And it's Mm -hmm. just easy for you just to take anyone down, you know, slam them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing anyone has to offer other than, you know, a simple ouch. Yeah, the great thing about grappling is when you take someone to the ground, you negate their most dangerous weapon, which is striking. Mm -hmm. You can't throw an effective punch from your back. Maybe if you get lucky, you can do some Kevin Holland shit. But uh, (laughs) he's also also a professional fighter who did that. So he's like worked on some shit. Um, But yeah, like. You know, back in my younger days and like my early teen or my teens, my early 20s, I was much more of a hothead as I've aged and as I've trained more, I've definitely cooled down a bit. Plus, uh, you know, now that I'm out of the military, I might have some extracurriculars that help my mood as well. Um, So, you know, it's like living in Illinois, you got to do what you can to keep your sanity, you know, (laughs) like when I was like 15. I think I was, a, yeah, I was a freshman in high school, so I was about 15. Um, you know, I got I got in a locker room fight with a kid who was, like, trying to bully me. I don't know why he was trying to bully me. He wasn't bigger than me or anything. He just thought I was the kid to pick on. I was, like, a tall, scrawny kid back then. I don't think he knew that I wrestled. Um, so I was he just picked me as, like, the kid he was going to, you know, mess with. And, uh, you know, one day we're in the locker room after PE, which is the class we shared, and uh, – he like took his shirt off and started whipping me in the face with it. I was like, dude, come on, like cut the shit, like give it a rest. And he's like, oh, whatever, you know, whatever trash talk 15 year olds do when they're trying to fight somebody. So then I was, you know, I wasn't afraid of him. So I was like, all right, let's go then. 
and I got in his face. So then he shoved me and like, there was this little like bench thing behind me, you know, like if you've ever been in a locker room, there's usually like a bench around yeah. the block. He like pushed me and I like, I didn't fall over, but I kind of like sat down on it. And then when I popped back up, I like shoved him real hard. Right. So then it was on and he like threw a punch at me and I put my hand up and I just blocked it. Right. And then I just overhooked him and then I just hit him with like two right hands and kind of like pushed him away. And then we went into like this crazy, like flurry. I was like, so pissed. I didn't know what I was doing back then. I was 15. I hadn't learned all the shit I know now. We got in this crazy like flurry. We were both doing like the helicopter thing. And I was like, wait, calm down. And I literally, I, I remember this point of like, I had this point of clarity. I had just started watching the UFC and I was just like, Muay Thai clinch. I got him in a Muay Thai clinch and I just hit him with like two knees and then I threw him into the wall. He tried to throw a leg kick at me, which I checked. And then I hit him with a leg kick. He like buckled sideways and I threw a right hook, hit him like flush and it made like that sound. And, uh, he was like, oh, and then he like turned and walked away. So I was like, all right, he's done. And then as I walked away, he tried to cheap shot me. And my buddy Andrew was like, watch out. So just reflectively, I put my arm up, blocked his punch from around the side, caught him in a headlock and then hip tossed him. And then we landed on the ground and everyone was like, oh, there was like 20 dudes in the locker room. They all went nuts. And uh, yeah, and then they broke it up after I hip tossed him. But uh, that happened. Class ended. I walked to my next class, which was like one hallway away and in that period somehow everyone found out about the fight that had just happened i was like well i guess that's high school for you i was like and this was like back when most people like maybe a few people had cell phones but most people didn't yet and then, yeah it was crazy i was like how did everyone just find out but the great thing about that though was i kicked his ass my freshman year and then for the rest of high school no one said shit to me because <laughs> they oh, were yeah. like they were like dude mcclugan can fight <laughs> That's currency right there, so <laughs> like you get all, all it takes is one good ass kick and they know, all right? Like no matter right. what happens the rest alone. of the four years, you are royalty. Yeah. It just that's those are the rules. Like yeah. if I didn't write those rules, that's just how it goes. Yeah, uh, it's just you know, that's always that weird thing with people who people who don't know how to fight are quick to wanna, you know start some shit and the people who do know how to fight are like look man i know the damages that can be done here i don't want to do it but if you want me to fuck you up i'll fuck you up but i'm not even gonna fuck you up i'm just gonna make you look silly you know but you know there was a i don't like watching street fight videos yeah because like part of it is i see just piss poor technique it's like oh my god you missing so many opportunities, but also people can seriously get hurt. And I just yeah. saw a video recently, uh, a dude got spiked on his head yeah. and he got up and he was stumbling and bumbling. And um, someone put in the comments, one thing that you know, everybody's like, you know, making jokes in the comments. And one dude was like, and you got to be careful when you spike someone on the head because you go from beating someone in a street fight to being a murderer now. Yeah. And, I used to be much more of a hothead and I used to like, so like my Instagram handle is BJJ James. It used to be MMA James. And like, I, I seriously like MMA James was like, he was a different dude. When I was in my early twenties, I was like borderline crazy. And cause I, I thought what I was like, I'm either going to end up being like in the military and I'm going to have to go fight, you know, th that way or 
if I get out of the military, I'm going to try to do like the UFC or something. Like that was my mind back then. So I was never the guy to like start anything, but I had like zero back down in me back when I was in my early twenties. So when you're in your bar years, you know, all it takes is one dude to say one comment and then, you know, yep. so, I, so I had my fair share of, you know, bar fights and whatnot, but, um, luckily, you know, I never got arrested. No one ever got seriously hurt. Um, I just, I choked a few people out, knocked a few people out. <laughs> nothing, nothing too bad. <laughs> uh, never let anyone's head bounce off the concrete though. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's the scariest part. When you see the head dribble, it's like, oh boy. Yeah. You uh getting hit by the earth, as Joe Rogan says, is not nice. <laughs> yes. The earth has no give. Yeah. It's big. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Back in back in my younger years, I, I, yeah, I was I was also a hothead and it, it's you know, we joke about it. I I sometimes go on another podcast, um, Nerd, Rage, Nerd Rage Radio, which I shout them out every so often on here. And, you know, one of my nicknames on there is they're like, and with us today, we have Dante the Destroyer. <laughs> and, you know, my wife hates it. She hates it so much. She's like, don't they know that's not you anymore? I was <laughs> like, yeah, but we all grew up. You know, I've known these guys for 20 some odd years now. Right. You know, they give you a nickname and that nickname sticks. It's like, what you know, you know, why do they call you chip tooth, you know, Pete? You know, well, <laughs> like all oh, your teeth are fine. Oh, see, you don't know. <laughs> Take the cap off. Right. Uh, but you know, it's it's like looking back on those days, there are times where they make the jokes and I'm, I feel bad when they remind me of certain things. It's like you remember the time you open hand smack this person? It's like Yeah, I, I do. Um I kind of repressed that memory. I've been working on that in therapy, dude. Like, like, why are we bringing that up on the air? You know, shit like that. Um, It's it's weird to think, you know, as you get older, especially, you you start to think it's like some battles aren't worth it. Or even, you know, know, on the other side of that, it's like, like you said, it's like you're not one to start the fight, but there's no back down. Yeah, you know, I think there's a moment for me where, um, I was in the bar. I'm not good at pool at all. I'm probably the worst pool player ever. In <laughs> I the suck at pool too. It's like if 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 the you know eight ball is right there, all I got to do is tap that in. I will somehow miss the eight ball. <laughs> it's impossible, but I I find the possible possibles there. Um, I missed an easy shot this one game, and a guy and his friends they're walking by. And one guy mocks me. He goes, you almost made that shot. And I looked up and I was like, bitch, you almost sucked my dick. He goes, what the fuck did you say to me? You know, and I repeated it. You know, we kind of start walking up to each other's faces. And I see that he's got a group of guys. And I've got a group of guys, but they're not really fighters. And, you know, in, in that moment, he backed down, which is fine because I was about to back down. Like, we got in each other's face. And then, you know, I'm kind of standing there because this is now that this is the mature Dante. And I'm thinking, dude, I don't want to do this, but I also don't want to look like a punk. And then the guy goes, you know what, man, I'm sorry. Like, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was like, you know what, man, my bad, too. You know, like, who am I to say that to you? You know, like, let me get you a beer. Don't worry about it. It's like, all right, man. Well, you know, y'all be safe. Yeah, it's kind of squashed it. And that I think that was that moment in life 
where I realized, oh shit, like this can be done. I can walk away from it. I don't have to actually fight anyone. Right. And since then it's that that's the way my brain has kind of been working now. Like my whole philosophy is if you hit me, maybe it was an accident. I don't know. People make mistakes. You hit yeah. me twice. People fuck up twice. It's it's been known to happen. You're not gonna get a third time though. Right. It's like 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 because after that second time, I'm I'm now looking at you like, okay, where's this going? Because you ain't hit me a third time. Um now as far as any of my friends or family, don't even think about it. You do that, I now I feel like I have to step in. Right. Um, and I have friends that say, you know, you don't have to step in, but it's like I'm I'm a protective person. I'm the same way. I got more fights protecting my friends than anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, it's weird because it's like, if I see people fighting, if I see friends fighting, I'll break it up amongst the friends. But if it's like somebody, you know, is messing with my friends, I'm quick to run up and, you know, start barking. And it's like, okay. They, you know, I don't even know what I'm, you know, they might be old friends, you know, goofing off. And because I, I did that to someone um, actually fairly recently within the last f- five years, um, one of my teammates, this was on social media. Someone came on and they were joking with them. They made, you know, I guess a, a what I thought was a rude comment. And I flew off the handle on this person. And it was like, you know, because it, it was a female teammate that they said whatever they said. I went off and then I realized, like, looking, it's like, oh shit, they're friends. Okay, Dante, oh, get back in I'm, your cage. I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> hey, calm down, dude. Um, yeah. But I, I get you, dude. I, I completely get you. Yeah, you just got to be careful, too. Like, one, jujitsu only works when it's one on one. If there's multiple people, jujitsu is not going to help you, really. Um, no. At that point, just fucking run literally and then two you don't want to have like what happened with freaking leander Lowe just happened where that fucking dude shot him like a little bitch yeah um, it's like people are crazy these days people don't believe in like a good you know fist fight they'll like pull a knife and stab you or pull a gun and shoot you um yeah which is unfortunate i, I, I think if more people were in martial arts and like got humbled regularly to realize that like, you know, one, it's okay to lose. And two, you're not all that, that you think you are like, that would do a lot for people in today's world. I think, cause there's too many people who are just like, they're super entitled. They think the entire world just belongs to them for nothing. So like, I don't know where you guys got this idea, but as far as I know, you have to work for everything that you get in this life, you know? <laughs> And not even just have to work for it though, too. It's like even after you work to earn it, you have to work to maintain like, it. Yeah, it's not just like, okay, I have it. Now I keep it. No, now you gotta maintain that. Um also and, and I'm not sure, you know, if, if this is accurate, but I believe like it was being said that the dude who shot uh Leangelo was a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so he probably knew who he was. That well, that's what like my my uh, teammate and I were talking about it. That's what you know really fucking bummed us out because it's like it's not like you know you're a purple belt, 
it's not like there's some stranger that you know you're you're all in brazil you know it's like pretty sure you know who this guy is he's a legend and yeah and and you do that it's like you know i don't know that the shit it, it's and the guy um, was a cop yeah so it's like imagine uh, i was i told someone this analogy like imagine if say kobe bryant instead of his helicopter crash imagine if he had gotten shot at a pickup game of basketball by an off-duty cop in LA, could you fucking imagine the outroar and like the windfall that would have come of that? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have been. Yeah, that that would have been a nightmare for that guy, uh, for sure. If he would have even made it to the station, or you know, were uh, you know, survived to be arrested. Yeah, well, there's been um, riots and stuff at the police station in Brazil. Yes, I don't know what happened with that, but I mean, it's a you know, again, unfortunate situation that was super avoidable. You know, if the guy just wasn't a bitch, it's like, okay, you you got put in check, yeah, take that L, move on with your life, yeah, just take your L, man, especially against like it's Leandro Lowe. No one's gonna call you a bitch for getting held down by Leandro Lowe because you tried to steal his bottle. Like, I mean, hey, man, I, that was kind of stupid of you. Like, if you were my friend and you did that, I'd be like, hey, dummy, what were you thinking? Like, <laughs> like, quite honestly, it's like Leandro Lowe just, like, put you in check. Right. You might want to say maybe, I don't know, thank you. You know, yeah, I wasn't my right yeah, yeah, My bad, dude. Like, fucking some fucking respect. Oh, you know what? All right, let me get out of that because, yeah. like, my brain is all heated. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's we, we got to be careful out there, man. Um. Real quick, I want to take us back to to pre on air conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I need to because look, I I am relatively clueless to Dragon Ball Z, so I didn't come yeah. prepared with any specific questions. Yeah. Although I I caught when I was like, okay, I know he's into Dragon Ball. I need to brush up. Maybe I want to do some Dragon Ball trivia. I didn't have anything for you. I do apologize for that, but I want to have you back on. I will have Dragon Ball trivia for you. That that's that is a promise. Yeah, um, but um, with your uh, love for Dragon Ball Z, like that that's like just pure from childhood, correct? That that's not like you came on board later. No, yeah. So when I was in like elementary school, so like ninety five, ninety six, when uh dragon ball z first made its debut in america because dragon ball actually originally aired in japan in like i believe like 89 like dragon ball it's it's a a pretty old anime but do you know that much yeah but but it premiered in the united states when i was in elementary school and it used to come on right when i got home from school so i'd get home from school new episode of dragon ball z and then you know it like it ran through the saiyan saga and then like it restarted then it ran through the saiyan saga but then it added the frieza saga and then it restarted again and then like so i kept doing that but i watched it every time all the way through all the way up and i you know i stayed current with it i saw all the movies everything and i just loved it i liked you know i like martial arts the main character goku he's a martial artist and i just thought the whole idea was cool that every time that they the saiyans fight they get a little bit stronger um so yeah i just i just always loved the show i think uh you know there's like on my belt i have the quote from the turtle hermit school work hard study well eat and sleep plenty you know it's like sure it's from a cartoon but as far as like mottos to live by like you could do worse you know 
<laughs> that's true. I mean, no, those are solid. Like, as you say, it was like, shit, I need to fucking put that on my wall here in a room just as a yeah. reminder. Yeah. So like the turtle hermit way, it always like kind of resonated with me because I, I always believed, you know, work hard, study. It's like, that's pretty much how I live my whole life. So it's like perfect. And yeah, you know, and who doesn't want to go super saiyan, you know? So it's like, it was just always the coolest thing. And uh, so, yeah, just, it's been a huge part of my whole life. <laughs> you know, my daughter, she's into, she, she's into like a lot of wild things. She's, she's sick. So, you know, she's absorbing things now. I, I think that might be a joint venture for she and I to, to get into Dragon Ball Z and just, you know, jump in you know those early days have a uh, one of the guys from nerd rage nerd rage radio he tried to get me into anime just mm -hmm. in general and i just couldn't do it it's yeah. like I, it's like i was trying i was like i can't do this and i know my wife early on liked dragon ball z um you know before we met so it's like you know what maybe maybe now's that time because i never hear anything bad about Dragon Ball Z in terms of like, you know, it's like me growing up being an X-Men fan. Mm -hmm. It's like the comics were what they were. They did get a little, little odd after they uh, let Chris Claremont go. Um, and the stories just kind of went into whatever they wanted and they did well. And then the movies and the cartoons, you know, but you know, you hear your mixed, you know, feelings about things. But I don't hear too much about Dragon Ball Z in terms of like anyone saying they disliked um, most stuff. I, I think like the one movie with um, I can't remember the guy's name. They're both on a, a TV show, Shameless. Though uh, they, it's you know, just happened that they're both in a Dragon Ball Z movie. I, I hear people not say kind things about that movie. I was like, okay, well, not everything could be a home run, but. I think I'm going to sit down with my daughter and be like, look, kid, here you go. She's oh. been watching uh, Nickelodeon with me lately, like old Nickelodeon stuff. So I think she's in. If you're, uh, do you mean like the live action Dragon Ball movie that they made that one time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that movie is garbage. Don't ever watch that. Don't even waste your time. Dragon Ball Evolution, I believe is the name. I wouldn't saw that in theaters. And I was like, what is this garbage? Like, they completely changed the story of Dragon Ball Z. They changed the way, the technique. Like, no, it's, just, it's not even Dragon Ball. It didn't even look, it didn't, like, not even just from that. It didn't look like, like, the cinematography didn't look good either. It just looked. Yeah, it was just terrible. I was like, I literally could have done better on this movie if I had directed it. Um, um, yeah, I always loved it. I was super happy when they started making the new movies and when they made, like, you know, Battle of Gods, Resurrection X, and they started Dragon Ball Super. So Dragon Ball Super first started coming out when I was like, it was like, what, 2014 or 15, something like that. And uh, I was like, oh, sweet, new Dragon Ball Z stuff. So I was playing like the games all my life. So yeah, it's just always been something. And then being a martial artist myself, you know, it's like, you know, just try to follow in Goku's footsteps, try to just train hard and just keep getting better. I just pulled up here on my phone. It's like, okay, let's go ahead and get into it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down with my daughter. We're going to watch some drag. She'll pro I'm certain she'll probably take more to it than, than me. I'll probably be in. I'm like, yeah, I'm into this. Then one day I'm just like, hey, so um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, 
play video games. So I was like, no, I gotta watch Dragon Ball Z. So yeah. next time I have you on here, I'll probably have like cliff notes from my daughter and written in crayon, um, telling me, you know, you gotta say this, you gotta remember this part too. Yeah. Um, but it's a good no, show. It, it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's iconic. Yeah. You know, Goku is you know an icon. It's like you, you see you know the gifts the memes you, you know you see them everywhere so you know even if you haven't watched dragon ball z you kind of know dragon ball z just right. by proxy so um it's, it's definitely something that i think is you know stood the test of time and it holds up so you know i'll be prepared for you next time <laughs> sounds good um now i know this might be might be some bias here oh on the last question here Goku versus Superman. Oh man, how does I've that got, go down? I've gotten into this with a bunch of people. I mean, so it depends on it depends on which version of Superman you want to use because, um, you know, I'm fairly into comics as well. So there's like there's like pre-crisis Superman, there's like Infinite Superman, there's like Superman 2000 or whatever. But there's like basically there's versions of Superman where he's essentially a god. So it's like, are you using that version of Superman? Because then it's like, but then you can also use the new like Ultra Instinct version of Goku. So it's like, Goku has new forms now too. But ultimately, I think Goku would mop the floor with with uh, Superman mainly because Goku is like actually a martial artist, whereas like Superman, I'm sure he knows some martial arts because he's also intelligent and whatnot, but he's not literally a martial artist. Like Goku actually has like techniques so that there's like, there's fights that he's won, not because he was more quote unquote powerful than the guy, but because he was a better fighter, you know? Yep. Um, so. the, you know, the quote from Man of Steel from General Zod, when he says to Superman, he's like, look, I am a general. I fought in the military. And you are a farm boy. And then that's what I think about. There's like, okay, Goku versus Superman. Well, Goku's a martial artist and Clark is a farm boy. Now, that's not to say farm boy can't fight, but he's a martial artist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at least, like, you know, going into that question, I was like, there might be some bias, but no, you, like, there's an explanation to it. That wins. Most people will just say, well, Superman, well, you know, no matter which one you go with, you know, you can go, let's go new 52. That's when I really picked up DC comics was new 52. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was aware of, you know, DC comics prior. I just wasn't big into it. Like I said, I'm a big X-Men and Spider-Man guy. Yeah, so I've always been a little bit more into Marvel as well. Um, like m- more so mutants, X-Factor, X-Force, specifically X-Force. Mm-hmm. Like you throw X-Force at me, like my basement right now with my figures, um, I have the '90s teams. I have the 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 new X Factor team. In one case, I just need a a Wolfsbane figure. Yeah. Um, I have X Force, but I don't have Richter because that came in a three pack. I'm not paying for the three pack because it has Cannonball and Domino, which I already have those. So why am I going to buy another one? Yeah. Um, and I need an Excalibur set, which. The Excalibur three pack has Captain Britain, which I already have, but it has, you know, Shadow Cat in a blue outfit and Megan. I just need Phoenix and um 
I have Nightcrawler. So, but basically, my collection is primarily based off the '90s X-Men, all '90s mutants. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men Gold and Blue, X Factor, X Force, X Caliber. I'm waiting for them to drop some Generation X figures because once those hit, I'm back in. Um, you know, like I keep telling my wife, she's an enabler. She goes to Target and she'll send me a picture. Hey, do you need this? And most times it's a no, but because she has it in hand and she found it in the wild, it's always a yes. Yeah, it's like I have figures in the tote that I don't even have a use for. They're just there because yeah. it's like she found it in the wild. Um, but but I I always think about um, the ideal of you know when you have these super beings in in these different um, you know lines of you know DC Marvel anime image comics things like that uh valiant even you know it's like whose top guy would beat who honestly in marvel i I guess century is their their answer to superman i guess but yeah he's sort of supposed to be um like like if if you get away from the mutants i genuinely don't care as soon as they say hey so like when they did the onslaught story and then they did Heroes Reborn with the all the uh, non-mutants elsewhere. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm out. And then I just stopped collecting because I think I got to that age where I was like, oh, cool. I discovered beer. And <laughs> that's where my money went instead of comics. Um, I like knowing all the, like, the backstories to the characters and stuff. Like whenever a new Marvel comes out, I always look at like their Wikipedias or whatever and like, <laughs> okay, what's this guy's deal? And I, I played a mobile game on my phone called Marvel Strike Force, where you like collect yeah. different characters and whatnot, and it's a fun game. It's got like over two hundred characters now. It's like my little go-to like kill time game. Um, yeah, I've always been a fan of the comic books and whatnot, but yeah, when it comes to Superman versus Goku, I definitely think Goku would. Uh... The other thing I've always liked about the Saiyans specifically is that they're power was like directly linked to like their rage like the more angry they got kind of like the hulk the more angry they got the stronger they get mm-hmm. and uh i'm sure everyone's kind of felt that at some point where you get super mad and you feel like you get that hulk strength but like i really used to feel that when i was younger like when i would have wrestling matches and stuff like it was cool like we go out we shake hands we compete whatever it's like you might beat me you might not but like if you pissed me off during our match like you're dealing with a different guy <laughs> that's how it was uh, in football, it's like eventually I just started playing like backyard football. I would play on the line. I was a scrawny kid playing on the old line. If you beat me, you got my quarterback. That's just not happening again. Yeah. And then when when it flips, now I'm on defense. I'm blowing through your old line because you got my guy. Now that rage is here. I want yours. And yeah. it, it was just, and yeah. I, I feel it. There's something to be said about learning how to like refine that. Like it's hard to focus your rage to where it's like beneficial and not just like rah, like people say like, oh, I see red. It's like, well, that means you're probably out of control and you're an idiot. But like you can be pissed off, but that can force you to have like laser focus too. And that's like, you know, like soldiers when they're in combat and they, they say like it seems like time froze down. It's like, well, yeah, it probably almost did seem like time froze down because, like, with your adrenaline and your endorphins and everything, like, your body literally got revved up to, like, 9,000 RPMs over 9,000. Sorry, I had to squeeze that in there. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but it's literally like your body gets jacked up to like super speed and like this could just be totally in my mind but i swear like when i go to the gym and i put in like a super hard intense workout sometimes i feel like my music is like it, it feels like i'm hearing it slower in my ear like yeah yeah like sometimes when i just i feel like your hormones and your emotions literally can alter your perspective of time so like if you get super angry and you need to like dodge a punch it j actually just might help you you know you get that spike of adrenaline and you know <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's we're fascinating creatures for sure and those observations like i said it might be in your mind i don't know man it might you know we we think that but i, I feel like you know there's probably something to that so i don't know but it's actually i studied behavioral science in college that's what i oh nice yeah it was because i figured if i was going to be a military officer i should probably like figure out why people are the way they are so it, like i that's never got a job I uh, directly used it for, but it was nice just to like, you know, it's nice knowing different personalities and how to, you know, build a team and certain personalities just don't mesh well. I mean, it's good that like you went in with that insight though, to think like, look, let me look at, you know, this from this perspective, because, you know, a lot of people go into lots of different things just with no pre-planning, no homework. I mean, you know, no thought to it. It's just like, I'll figure it out when I get there. Or you'll say after the fact, shit, I, I need to figure out, you know, what makes these people tick this way. So, yeah, like, that's awesome. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know who he is. He's pretty popular Absolutely. these days, though. But uh, I have a couple of his books on Audible that I've been listening to. And he talks a lot about just having an aim, you know, and I always found that important, especially like early 2019, I got out of the military December, 2018. So like basically all of 2019 plus with COVID and everything, uh, that was like a low point in my life. You know, I was like borderline suicidal. Like I, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. My girlfriend and I broke up. It was just a, a bad part of my life. But the one goal that was constant throughout that was jujitsu. I, I wanted, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a black belt in something. And jujitsu was the art I eventually chose. I had been training at it. I was a brown belt. I was like, I'm right there. I'm not going to stop training. And so I just kept training. I kept training. I kept training. And like, it just gave me something, you know? And I, I would, I would offer that to anyone who's like feeling like they're in a rut and they don't know what to do with their life. Like Jordan Peterson, he literally says, Pick something, pick anything and try to get good at it. Just pick something. Maybe you want to go be a cashier at Walmart. Try to be the best cashier that Walmart's ever freaking had. And then, you know, you do that, you do a good job. And then maybe your manager, you know, tells you, hey, you did a good job. And then it's like that, that one little, you know, chess piece move can have a huge effect on your life. I think like the japanese they have a lot of like knowledge in things they say um there's two concepts that are japanese concepts that i like kind of try to follow is kaizen which is basically the idea that you should get a little bit better every day and then um i think i pronounced this right ikigai is the other one and it's basically the idea of like 
you try to find something that you're you're good at that the world needs you to do or that you can make money from and like all these things overlap and you get this thing that's kind of like your your purpose in life and i, I honestly think for me that that's jujitsu teaching jujitsu sharing this art with people in the world it's like i get joy from it even though i can't compete at the level i would want to i still enjoy competing when i can you know when my knees don't give out on me all the freaking time but i love uh you, you know you just had tracy on in the last six months she's won nationals the chicago open the austin open she's only been training for six or seven months you know she's working super hard and i love to see that like when she first started she had no idea what she was doing but now she actually does jujitsu it's amazing you know it's like and your progress can be linked to your effort like obviously talent plays a factor some people they just see stuff they pick it up it's like damn it you guys are so talented i hate you but you can also just learn it by just working really hard at it i think that hard work aspect is definitely a huge huge key um i grew up as a natural athlete just i was just good at everything i was fast i was strong i was that kid i wish i would have had someone to mentor me at that time to force me to now work at it don't just be good i agree work at being good continue to learn because i remember getting the high school football my thought was because playing backyard football i know you give me the ball i'm going to get to the other end of the field they're not stopping me it doesn't work that way in high school football yeah well, you can't just say give me the ball no there, there's routes that you have to run which i couldn't remember I never read my playbook, you know, stuff like that. I was just like, right. no, I'm good. I'm the most talented person here. And, you know, that may be. I remember that first practice, Coach Winfield says, if you can't run a route, you could be the greatest receiver in the world. You can catch anything we throw at you. But if you cannot run your route, you will never, ever see that field. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, maybe I should learn. And I'm looking at the playbook like, what the fuck are any of these lines? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't want to do this. Um, but it, it's like, yes, talent is a huge, huge aspect. But if if that talent isn't um, molded and, and you know, you know, it's like planting a seed. You know, if you don't fertilize it and water it and, you know, grow it you know, it's going to become a weed and, you know, it could end up, you know, choking itself out. So, yeah, um, and eventually there's going to be someone who's just as talented as you, but they work way harder than you. And oh, yeah. like, when you're in a sport like wrestling or jujitsu, that's one-on-one -on -one, or MMA, like MMA is the worst. Like yeah. you run into someone who is just as talented as you, but they work way harder than you and you fight that person, you're in for a bad day. So, I mean, you look at John Jones, this dude is super talented and was hardly working. And then I, you know, I, th I think he lost that fight to Dominic Reyes, but I don't know. I'm just. I was actually at that fight. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. When I got out of the army, I actually worked security for the UFC for like a year. That was pretty cool. Dude, yeah, definitely got to have you back on. You, you've like, you've got so many different layers and chapters that I need to dig into. Oh yeah, I feel wow. like, yeah, I could, yeah, I barely scratched the surface, my friend. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like you know, looking at John Jones, he has all that talent, and he he works, but 
there was one point where he really wasn't, but he was showing up and smashing all these legends. And then I think, as I always say with MMA, especially the game, the game, the fight game evolves. And if you don't evolve with it, you will get left behind. A good example of evolving with the game is Dustin Poirier. He he's he's been there for a while. He's been growing with the game. Connor has been there for a while, but you know Connor grew with he he was part of the game changing, but the game yeah. has started changing more and moving on. Connor's and been a victim of his own success. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I'm I'm curious as to what's going to happen with John Jones uh, at heavyweight, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think again, like you said, there's going to be someone just as talented but works harder and. You know, you got to either rise to the occasion or take that L and accept it. Yeah, it almost happened when Jones fought DC. DC almost yeah. got him, but Jones yeah. was just a little bit too fucking good. But yeah. uh, DC with D- Gustafson, but John said he was partying before the Gustafson fight, which is crazy to me because that fight was so wild. <laughs> Jesus, dude, and that, that's that's the, that's what I mean. It's like this dude is out partying. He's not even working the hardest and he's in there. That Gustafson fight, when I first watched it, I felt like Gustafson won. I watched it the next time I and I was too. like, I won. and the next time I was like, okay, I can see the argument for John. Then I watched it again. I was like, I can see the argument for Gustafson. I felt like at the very worst, it was a draw at the very worst. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the you know, it, it's all in the past now. It ain't being changed. But in Alexander Gubson, you know, he, he, you know, just seems like such a nice guy, such a sweet guy. And the game also, again, is moving along and changing. And, and you just get older. They take yeah. advantage. It's like, you know, you, you're getting older. The damage is being taken, but you're not evolving with the game. It's like it, it's sometimes it's not even that you're not. It's like that you can't. It, it's like right. in, in jiu-jitsu, I'm sure my fat ass can invert um, comfortably. No, but I'm sure I could do it. <laughs> you know, but but that's part of the whole things are changing. Yeah, I might try to change with it, but my body's like, dog, sit down. Like, why don't you go ahead and work on that half guard game? It's like, uh, okay. But, you know, but I want to do these other things. No, sit down, fatty. Like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't sit down since I'm fat. Maybe I should go running. Good idea. I feel that I see all these crazy, like, flying techniques. And I'm like, I would love to do that, but my knees would explode. <laughs> I like, I don't know that I'm coordinated enough to do anything crazy. So I just, like I said, my focus right now is focus on attacking. Just if I can get them to guard, attack from the guard. If I can get on the back, attack from the back. If if you know I'm a top half guard, you know, work my way to you know side control, get them out, you know, whatever I got to do to get to a position to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's Dante's objective moving forward for the next two months: attack, 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 and when you get sick of attack, and attack some more. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good strategy in general. If you can be on the offense. You know your opponent is by definition going to have to be on defense. So, yeah, if they're defending constantly, they're not attacking you. But uh, yep, it's and hard though because you know they get a say too. I posted something earlier today saying how jujitsu is like solving a two hundred pound Rubik's cube that fights back. 
It's like, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think that's just the thing with it is, you know, when we're drilling a move, you know, we're drilling it at, you know, very, very low percentage, you know, 10%, some resistance, maybe perfect situation, basically. But when it's time to do situationals, it's easy to get discouraged because, oh, it's not working. Well, yeah, because they know you're about to do it. Right. Like you, you both just drilled this for 40 minutes. Yeah. It's not going to work because they know you are going for it, which is why you drill it, why you work on it in those situationals to the point where, you know, I was talking about one teammate, um, you know, he's talking about getting smashed in the training room. And it's like, well, think about that, you know, fact that you all are learning the same thing. But at the end of the day, if you can get it on someone that knows you're doing it, that's the magic right there. Yeah. You know, you're going to go into the competition on top of your game so yeah uh, some of my favorite things to do as a coach now that i've been coaching is i, I do all of my classes pretty much the same general format i'll mix it up generally but basically we'll warm up we'll do a little bit of standing technique just to kind of finish the warm-up then we go into whatever the move of the day is we'll do some positional sparring and we'll just do some open rounds and i usually will hop in with the guys slash gals whoever at uh the end of the training and I'll, I'll roll with them and whatnot. And I always try to do whatever move I just taught them. Cause it's like, one, you know it, cause I just taught it to you. And two, if I can do it to you, when you know it's coming, then you know it works. So I do that a lot is I'll, I'll be like, all right, here's the move, show the move, whatever. And then, all right, let's start rolling. We'll do our positionals. I start in that position. And first thing I do, boom. And I always say it to them like, move of the day. <laughs> just, just that humble reminder. Yeah. Um, In case y'all right. think it doesn't work. <laughs> well, James, this has been a, a great time. Uh, I, I definitely want to have you on again. It's, like, <laughs> sure. I was, I, I'm always nervous going into any episode, and I've been doing this for long enough, but I shouldn't be nervous. But I'm always nervous, especially when it's a new person, because it's like, oh my god, are we gonna click? Is it is it gonna be something where I have to like drag info out of them? And am I gonna have to ask questions and like drag it out? Do like we conversed as if we were old friends. Yeah. So, flew by. I can't believe that was two hours. Yeah. I looked, I was like, Holy shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much of this is like the only editing I'm really probably going to do is, you know, pauses and ums, um, and, and me clearing my throat, stuff like that. Cause I'm a weirdo about shit like that. But <laughs> otherwise this was a fun fucking time dude thank you so much for giving your time thank you thank you for the invite yeah i'll be happy to be back just let me know sure thing uh do you have any mentions or uh shout outs or uh where can we find you on social media yeah i got a few uh my social media uh bjj underscore james m um i've yeah that's me i've black BJ, i'm the only james mcclugan in the world so if you see james mcclugan that's me um I'm wearing my my jujitsu gi and my black belt. Um, yeah, a couple of quick shout outs. Shout out to my professor, Mark Turner. Shout out to uh, B2J Lab. Shout out to um, Kataro USA. They, they're the people who made my, my awesome belt um, all customized and whatnot. They do free stripes for life. Shout out to uh, Justin Gonzalez, my former coach out in El Paso, Grind BJJ. Hope all you guys out there are doing good. Um, 
And uh, shout shout out to my homeboy Travis Partika. Um, not gonna get too much into it, but he's a friend of mine that passed away uh, a little over a year ago. So shout out to him. I miss you, brother. I think about you every day. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's been a great time. Hope uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, absolutely, man. It was a wonderful conversation here. Like I said, we started conversing as if you know we've been old friends and and just going back and forth. So thank you for your time, and everyone listening. As always, thank you very much. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Uh, you know, again, I, I've mentioned it the last few episodes. I'm gonna mention it again. Been doing this for two years, and it's awesome because. I didn't think that, you know, we was going to get anyone listening in the beginning. And here we are, you know, got a following. So thank you, everyone who supports the show. I appreciate you and love you all to death. Uh, if you all got any questions, concerns, feel free to reach out to me, bjj.wiki on Instagram or off the mats podcast on Instagram or any of my other mini podcast or Instagram accounts for podcasts, Clompton Bear Club and what's the other one? So you like horror. You can find me there. Like, shoot me messages and follow, follow if y'all want to, please follow. Um, big shout out, um, as always, to my good friends Eric and Allie over at Armbar Attic. Uh, go give those kids some uh, some love over on Instagram and go check out the website where they sell some rash guards, t shirts. They're pretty cool. I think, oh, I wore a rash guard earlier today to training. Um, also, big shout out to Nerd Rage Radio, Bobby, Chris. Joe, love you guys. I'm going to be trying to work on an episode soon with Bobby on So You Like Horror. Probably talk about The Exorcist. So stay tuned for that. Um, And speaking of which, shout out to my other podcast, So You Like Horror. Go check it out on Instagram, So You Like Horror. Uh, All the words separated by underscores. And there's a podcast, maybe. I heard there's a rumor about that. We talk about horror movies. Sometimes movies, the next episode that's going to be upcoming, we're going to be talking about the Halloween franchise. And the current episode that's up is actually talking about uh my guests their experience with the uh, haunted house so you know check that out y'all but otherwise thank you so much for all the support everyone i love you all you guys keep listening to the show and we're definitely going to keep doing these things thank you everyone and bye They probably said, now let me see his song.